This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Hey, if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? Our ushers are glad to get you one. Once you get one, go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. And as you're turning to Genesis 2, we'll go to Genesis 2, then to Genesis 3. This is Palm Sunday, and so we're going to talk about the reason, the meaning behind Palm Sunday today, and give you a little clarity on on why we talk about it and speak on it. But also, I, I encourage you this this upcoming week, as Shelley said earlier, this is the Holy Week, and so uh, every one of us in this room, regardless of your age, you're going to die someday. Not if, but when. And so as, as I approach this week again, I always look at Jesus' life. Jesus knew how he would die. But he was willing to go ahead and go through it and the beating and the, the broken body and everything he did for me and you. He didn't do that for him. He did that for me and you. So we're going to see some of these things. But this upcoming week, I encourage you just to begin to soak the things of Easter in, okay? Let's begin. Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God, he took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Now, there's some truth right there in that verse immediately. And if you'll note, it said that God put man in the Garden of Eden. In in other words, man didn't look at God and say, Hey, you know, I think I'll go to the Garden of Eden and that's where I'll live. And so it identifies immediately to me. And as a Christian, we've got to understand this. God is the creator. We're the creation, okay? And it was God's idea, every bit of this. And so God said, I'm going to put you in this place called the Garden of Eden, and I'm going to give you the authority to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now, if you'll note there, he said he commanded. When God commands us to do something, he will not enforce it or he will not make you do it. But there are consequences when I don't obey the commandments of God. Regardless of your age. Do you know the effect on a, on a plate glass window has the same effect if it's hit by a pebble or a boulder? It's the same in our lives. When we obey the the big things we look at as big commands or the little commands, something happens when we obey. So immediately we see God's heart. God says, here's the command. If you'll eat of all these trees, it's going to be good. Okay? If you'll just listen to what I'm going to tell you, it's going to be good. But if you look at verse 17, he says, but. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the two trees here, they provide an exercise of choice. An exercise of your will. Now again, his desire was that you obey. But he said, you know what? If you choose not to obey and you eat of that tree, you can do it. But you better understand, there's going to be consequences for you doing that. It's no different for me and you. When God puts his word out there before us, I have a choice 
do I obey it or do I not obey it? And so in looking at this, we know they disobeyed. Adam and Eve chose to not obey what God said. And because of that, it's called the fall of mankind. And so God said, man, we, my, my, my children, they fail. So instead of just throwing in the towel, look in Genesis 3. I want you to begin to see what God does. It, 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 immediately, God begins to move in a, in a new direction for me and you. And in verse number 14 of Genesis 3, So the Lord God said to the serpent, to the devil, Because you have done this, because you have deceived the people here on earth, you are cursed more than all the cattle. This was God's judgment upon him. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or conflict between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now what you're seeing there in verse 15 is the first what we call messianic prophecy in the Bible. God immediately says, I'm going to send a Savior into the world and because what he's going to do He's going to take care of the devil. Actually, where it says he's going to bruise your head, in Romans 16, 20, it specifically says that Jesus would crush the devil. And so what God begins to do, God begins to prophesy right here of a coming king that would come onto the face of the earth and he would benefit every one of us in here. Now go with me to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Now, what God was doing there, he was revealing his plan to offer salvation for every one of us. And so we go through the Bible here in the Old Testament, and we know that Jesus hadn't come on the scene immediately then. Years went by and years went by, but the prophecy that God gives begins to take shape. But before we get there, we've got to look at some of the, the, the Jewish customs, what they used to do. Psalm 118, begin with me in verse 22. It specifically says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now what this verse is talking about here, it's also quoted five times in the New Testament. And when it says that the chief cornerstone had been rejected, this is prophesying about the Lord Jesus that the Jews would reject him. Now, it's not pleasant for anybody to experience rejection. And so as I read that right there, I, I have to ask myself this question. Here's the question for you right now. Do, re, do you receive Jesus? Or do you reject him? For the first 20 years of my life, I rejected him. But there's a, a, a key right here that he puts in here, a nugget that we can get a hold of. And it says at verse 23, this was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. And the marvelous in our eyes, when God turns what looks bad to good. And that's what he's saying right here. It may have started out looking bad. The rejection was upon Jesus, but God turned it to good. Verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. 
Now, when we read that right here, this was a specific day that the Jews would celebrate every year. This was in a time area called the Feast of Tabernacle. So every year when the Feast of Tabernacle would take place, the Jews or the pilgrims of, of the, the nation of Israel, they would all come together. They would all descend back on Jerusalem to, to celebrate this feast. It would be like me and you having a giant family reunion. And they would come together. And it says here, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now that word rejoice there is the strongest word that you can have for the word joy. And it said they would rejoice and be glad in it. Actually, the word rejoice means they would dance. They would spin around. They would shout. They would clap. I mean, they would just get so excited about this time of the year. So this was a big deal. Goes on to say, Save now, I pray, O Lord. Now, that phrase, save now, Caleb quoted that. It's cross-referenced into Matthew 21, 9. The, the phrase, save now, is our Hebrew word for Hosanna. Hosanna. And so they would go around the city this whole time and they would begin to shout and they would say, Hosanna, 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 which literally means save now. We plead, Father God, send us a savior. And then they would say, Oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Now the, the amplified says, it, it says send success. So as they would go through the villages and through the towns on their way to Jerusalem, you would hear this day after day, Hosanna, Hosanna. But the phrase where it says, uh, uh, prosper now, it literally is a Jewish word called Yashinah. So the whole time you would begin to hear him say, Hosanna, Yashinah. Save now, O God. I say save now. Prosper now, O God. Prosper now. Now, if you'll note, it didn't say save later or something. It say save now. This was their plea right here. And so what they would do is they would take these palm branches. Now, we got to understand a couple things about the palm tree itself. The palm tree itself is viewed as something that is very sturdy and very stable. If you were to study the root system of a palm tree, they go really, really, really deep. So when the winds blow, they bend, but they don't break. They bend. But right here, on the palm branch itself, if you can see this part right here, it's shaped like a V. It was shaped as victory. Victory now, oh God, victory now. So what they would begin to do that whole time frame at that fiesta. Woo, they would party and have fun and they would dance and shout. But they would take their palm branches and they would face the, the, the south, the east, the north, and even the west. In every direction they would shake them. And they would yell and they would rejoice and they would say, Yashina, save now, O God. I say, save now. Prosper, uh, prosper now, oh God. I say prosper now. And they would do it over and over and over and over again. That this rang out through their entire city. And it was a time of great rejoicing. 
Verse 26. Blessed. That word blessed is cross-referenced to, to Matthew 21.9. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So literally what they would do, they would assemble upon the church and they would have what they call was a convocation or a service. And hour after hour, day after day, you would hear that ring out through the city. Great anticipation, expectation of this. Now that was the Old Testament. They were prophesying again. It was a messianic prophecy. Send now a Savior, Father God. But now we jump to the New Testament, the fulfillment of this. So go with me to the book of John, chapter number 12. John chapter 12. And we begin to see how over the course of hundreds of years, these prophecies begin to take place. You know, in the Bible, there's over 300 prophecies that have already taken place. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover. I want to highlight the Passover just briefly. If we were to go back into the book of Exodus chapter 13, it would talk about the Passover. The Passover was when the Israelites exited Egypt. And remember, they had been bound in Egypt for over 400 years. And so God sends this man named Moses. And Moses begins to warn the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And he has all these different plagues. And he warns him on nine different occasions. And he said, God said, let my people go. And he would never do it. The tenth plague was that the firstborn of every household would be murdered unless they took the blood of a lamb and they sacrificed that lamb that was without spot, that was without blemish, and they would take the blood and they would put it over their doorposts and the lintels. And when the spirit of death came in, if that blood marked your home, it would pass over. So now they're still celebrating the Passover. And so it says here, then six days before the Passover, this would fall into what we call the Feast of Tabernacle. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, if you remember the story, Lazarus had been dead for several days, and Jesus raised him from the dead. And now... Jesus and Lazarus are together, and all these Jews, these pilgrims, are coming into Jerusalem for this feast, and they want to see Lazarus. They want to see who Jesus had raised from the dead. And many of them, it said, if you were to read this passage, verses 2 through 11, you would see they wanted to see Lazarus, but many of them wanted to kill him. And they wanted to kill Jesus because a lot of the Jews were believing in Jesus. So we pick up now in verse 12. The next day, a great multitude. A great multitude. Now you may want to highlight that. That's going to come back to play later on. A great multitude that had come to the feast or descended upon the feast. And so again now, we see this feast takes place. And remember the feast, man, they would party. They loved music. They loved food. 
They love to celebrate. How many of you in here have been to a, a Jewish event before? Have any of you been to a Jewish event, any form of a Jewish event? There's several. I see your hand, Ms. Garrett. I had a nephew back in December. He married a Hebrew girl. He married a Jewish girl. And so I went to a full-fledged Jewish marriage ceremony. It started at 6 in the evening, and it didn't end till midnight. And there was no downtime, okay? And so we go to the ceremony, and the ceremony lasted about 40 minutes, and it had great significance. But then after it was over, you know what took place? It was a party. I mean, they began to dance, and they danced, and they danced, and they would put the bride and the groom on these chairs, and they would carry them around the auditorium. And they would pass them off, and then they'd put them down. And then you know what we did? We ate. We ate for about 30 minutes. And you know what we did? We started dancing again. And then you know what we did? We ate. And then you know what we did? We danced some more. This goes on. For six hours almost, my dad looked at me and said, we're going to eat again? I said, yeah, we're going to eat again. <laughs> we just kept eating. And oh my gosh, the Jewish culture is so incredible that they would hug you and they would kiss you and they'd grab, you. They would grab your face. And they were just so loving and kind. But I begin to get a glimpse of, of the Jews when they would come into this feast, what they would do. I mean, they love to celebrate. And so here they are at this feast, and they're celebrating. And it goes on to say, when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees. Now again, here's Jesus is strolling into Jerusalem, and guess what he's met with? Branches of palm trees. Victory. Victory. So we watch what goes on here. And they went out to meet him, and they cried out. The Amplified says they kept shouting out, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. And the reason I highlight this again, this was the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecy. This was something that was prophesied thousands of years before this in this situation. And now... This day is no longer about a day, it's about a man named Jesus Christ. And when you begin to look at this, Jesus not only was the fulfillment of this, he was the fulfillment of Passover. He was the fulfillment of everything they'd ever heard about. So it says here, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, when you look at that verse right there, if we were to cross-reference it, you know where it takes us back to? Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. So literally, thousands of years before when they would say, Save now, O God, we say, Save now. This was the fulfillment of it. Jesus is strolling in on Palm Sunday. And things are going to change. And then we read in verse 14, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey... Set on it as it is written. Now the reason I read this right here, I want to highlight. 400 years before this, 
the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9 specifically prophesied, and look what he said. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus comes strolling in, riding on a donkey, just as Zechariah had prophesied 400 years earlier. So what you begin to see, the very things that God promised begins to take place. And Jesus is again, he's the fulfillment of every bit of this. Now I want you to go with me to the book of Revelations, chapter number 7. Revelations chapter 7. So guess what I'm getting to here. With Jesus, it's not a once a year feast. It's an everyday feast. We can celebrate what he did for every one of us. Year by year by year. Day by day by yet day. I'm going to turn you to Revelation 7. We see all these prophecies that have come to pass. Some things that the Lord Jesus said before he died. He warned the disciples that he would die on the cross. He'd be crucified. It happened. He said, but boys, I'm going to come back. He said, after three days, I'll rise from the dead. That's next Sunday. But he did. And then after 40 days, this is all Acts 1, after 40 days, it says that Jesus ascended into heaven. But you know what he told us? He said, I'm going to go up with the Father, but I'm going to come back. The day's coming when I'm going to come back. Now the reason I want to highlight this is everything that has been prophesied about up to this has taken place. I believe when Jesus said, I'm going to come back for the second, I believe that's going to happen. And here in Revelations chapter 7, this is the fulfillment of this, okay? Start with me in verse number 9. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, there it is again. A great multitude. Now, I want you to highlight those words, great multitude, because if you look at that, it doesn't say everyone. It says a great multitude, but it doesn't specifically say everyone. So he goes on to say a great multitude, which no one could number. That's a lot of people. That would be like us uh, getting on a platform and looking out as far as we could look in every direction And all you can see is people. Waves and waves of people. Now watch what he goes on and describes here. Of all the nations, of all the tribes, of all peoples, of all tongues. Now he's given us a glimpse into heaven. This is after Jesus returns, okay? These will be the people in heaven. And I want you to note there what he said. All tribes, all nations, all tongues. You know what that is? Let me give you my paraphrased edition. The red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in a sight. So guess what? When we get to heaven, there's going to be people of every color of skin, of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue. So God is not prejudiced. 
So here's my thought on that. If God's not prejudiced and that's the way heaven is going to be, shouldn't we, we be practicing that on earth right now? Wow, what a novel idea. You know, the most segregated place in America is Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. That's sad. That is sad. But the only thing that changes that is Jesus. You get Jesus in people's heart. So I begin to read this and I begin to look and I begin to meditate and about three weeks ago, a month ago, I, I was in prayer and I was trying to get some direction for some of the things for the men of iron. And the more I prayed, I began to sense the thoughts from the Lord coming to me. It's not just for the men of iron. But the Lord has spoke to me several times now and he said, I don't want to lose a generation. I don't want to lose a young generation. And I know sometimes you ones in here that are younger, you look at older people like you're stupid or you don't know anything. But the Bible's very clear that you ought to listen to those in authority, your elders. You ought to ask for wisdom. But what I'm seeing right now is less and less of our young people having a desire to serve God or the things of God. So there's a guy this morning in the first service, and he says this. He has family. He came from the U.K., and he said, under the age of 30 in the U.K., 70% of them right now do not believe there's a God. I believe in America we're getting close to those numbers too. And I say this, we're not going to lose a generation. I'm going to tell you that right now. We're going to fight, but it's going to take every one of us. And the truth is this, for us to stand up for a generation, I'm, I'm not going to entertain you. I'm not going to give you the lovey-dovey, okay? I'm going to tell you the truth and say, there's consequences for our sin. i got to get a hold of this. And so, you know what? You can, you can love me or you can hate me. It's okay. I'm going to tell you the truth. God loves you and we love you, right? So here we are. Woo, I don't know how I got off on that, but we did. So here's all these people in heaven. This is what this is talking about. And it says, they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So all these people were going to stand before this throne and the throne of God and there's the lamb. Now, if you note something, it says the lamb. It doesn't say a lamb or a bunch of lambs. It says the lamb. There's only one way, all right? There's just one way. Now, he says the lamb. And they were clothed with white robes. And the white robes here symbolize righteousness. And the only way I become righteous is through the Lord. You're not going to earn righteousness, okay? So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, 
I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's very clear here that people that are in heaven are going to be marked because of these white robes. You know what the white robe symbolized besides righteousness? That all your sins are forgiven. Now, look at the next thing that will be taking place in heaven. With white robes and with palm branches in their hands. So these things, they make it to heaven. I want you to get a picture of this. It's as far as the eye can see the multitudes of people. Victory. Victory. And, and, and it's not victory for a day now. It's victory for eternity. Now watch what he says. And they were crying out with a loud voice. I, I we got to get better at practicing here on earth. Man, we ought to shout and praise and worship with a loud voice. I mean, I know some of you went and watched Toby Mac a couple. I know you weren't quiet. I know you weren't. Man, we ought to be loud in church. We ought to be excited. Thank you. I'm going to. And crying with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's it. No other way. Well, I believe there's a lot of ways to heaven. Well, you believe wrong. Your theology's goofed up. One way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father is through the Son. Okay? I believe that, all right? So he goes on to say, And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It was a sevenfold adoration. Woo, that they over and over must begin to do this. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God. Now watch this. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the one coming out of the great tribulation. Now the great, uh, the great tribulation here, it describes the acceleration and the intensification of a troublesome time as this age comes to an end. Coming to an end, guys. Now, I'm not old, old, all right? But I've seen now in the last 20, 30 years how sin is intensifying. And it's accelerating. And I know there's ones a lot older than me in here that have seen it even stronger and stronger and stronger. And I will tell you this, it's not going to get any better. And I'm not throwing in the towel to say that. But it's going to keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. 
until the end of this thing ends up. That's why we got to hold on to the things of God. That's why you got to get your loved ones to church. And we got to love them and say, there's a man named Jesus that died for your sins. He loves you. And he goes on to say, and these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I want to highlight this just a little bit here. When we get to heaven, our robes will stay white because of the blood of the Lamb. You know why? There's no sin in heaven. There's no evil in heaven. So once we get there, I'm going to tell you, we're going to, we're going to look sharp all the days of our life in heaven because of the blood of the Lamb. But here's the thought about that. I'm not in heaven yet. But the great stain stick of sin is the blood of Jesus here on earth. And repentance, and we sang the song, Lord, lead us to repentance. Repentance isn't a negative, it's a positive. And we've preached a salvation that only comes through the confession of a Lord and Savior, Jesus, but there's more to that. To truly give your heart to Jesus takes a thorough repentance. And part of the word repentance is this right here. I repent of my sin and I do a 180. There ought to be a change in your life, your behaviors and your actions, if you're really born again. Let me ask you that. How many of you, if you're sitting around a level, could they say, yeah, there's a change in him. There's a change in you. I see that with many of you. I've watched many of you where I begin to see, man, they love God. Things are happening in their life. You know, when I got born again, you know what people would say? If God can change uh, change you, he can change anybody. I was like, woohoo! Yes, they're seeing some fruit in me. Something needs to be happening within us where we don't applaud sin. We don't live with the grace that says, I can do whatever I want. Man, we sin, we repent of it, and we say, Father God, help me. Turn from me. Get, get that junk away from me. So we keep reading. They made him white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither or never again hunger anymore. Nor thirst anymore. Nor shall the sun strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb, not a Lamb. The Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. And lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The tears of sin, the tears of suffering, and the tears of death. Never again. And so where does all this go back to? Save now, oh God. I say save now. Now I'm not going to have you turn there. But I'm going to read two passages in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5. And this is the, word, the Lord Jesus, and he said this. This is Luke 5, verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, it's interesting right there. 
He didn't say, I've called sinners to salvation. He said, I've called sinners to repentance. And then we turn over to the book of Luke, chapter 13. This is verse 2 and verse 3. And it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Two verses later in verse 5, he says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I am defined by my actions, not my intentions. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.